Did anyone wake up this morning? Whoa, something just changed. I, my pack was on the whole time. I don't know what happened. Did anyone wake up this morning and think, spring is coming? I mean, I was thinking that. That's the first thing I thought this morning. I'm like, spring? I love spring. I love seeing green trees, and I love seeing no snow. That's the other thing I love seeing. So, My kids are not as excited. They want to go down the sledding hill one more time, but I told them it's probably not going to happen. So this, this series that we've been in, um, if you're greeting us in this third week, we're in the third week of a series on Lamentations, which is a book in the Old Testament that, honestly, much before we started this series and before I was digging deeper into the passages, I really wouldn't spend much time in because who wants to read a whole book on lament, on grief? But I think something powerful that does happen as a result of lament is that we turn to God and then the, the bookend of that is trusting in God. You've heard every week the four steps of lament. And so this morning, I'm actually starting off before my sermon, before I pray, before I do anything else, I'm going to read a lament that one of you wrote. And I think it's going to be really important to understand what it means to write a lament. Some of us need to write a lament. Our whole staff wrote laments the other day, and I told them it was one of the greatest times I've had with them. I, I felt, that, one, that we all learned where we needed to trust in God, but then also it allowed us to go a little bit deeper with where our heart was at. So I'm going to read this lament this morning, and maybe you can identify with parts of it. So it's something that was written from the heart, and I think that it's much easier for me to read it than have someone come up here and like in speech class, read it. So I'm going to read it for you. It says, God, I boldly come before you because I desperately need you. This world feels like it's falling apart. Oftentimes I've wondered if you've chosen to look away. Have you turned your back on this world because we've turned our backs on you too many times? You tell us that we can come to you freely, but this world has chosen to reject you instead of turn to you. Have you chosen to look away? God, Why? Why have you allowed us to turn our backs on each other? We have caused so much destruction. Where are you? Why are you allowing so much pain in this world? There's so many people in need. Why have you allowed sickness to overtake this world? Why do you allow babies and children to get cancer instead of saving them? You allow them to die in their parents' arms? You allow people to become so low that they think they're only an answer in life is to take their own life. You allow parents to die in accidents from cancer or other sicknesses, leaving their children on this earth alone to try to figure out how to maneuver through this world without them. It's so unfair. I don't understand. Why do you allow marriages to fall apart? I can't understand why you allowed sickness to come into my family's world and destroy all that we knew. The enemy came and took over, and it felt at times you turned your back on us. You could have stopped the pain. You could have stopped it from getting that bad. But you chose to allow it to happen. I don't understand why. As hard as it is to live with, the truth is I don't need to know the answers. I may never know the answer to these questions on this side of heaven, but I will trust you, Lord, and I will continue to put my faith in you. You are God and I am not. I don't get to choose my path, you do. Oh God, I desperately need you. 
Thank you for loving me even when I've deliberately chosen not to follow you. I need your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. Please forgive me for trusting in you so little, for pointing fingers at you and blaming you instead of trusting that you have a plan for my life. You know what is best for me. I'm your child. Your love for me is deeper than I can comprehend. I am so grateful and I choose to follow you. There was something in there that I think was important. And I think it's important for us to realize if we don't get to the point of trusting, and I just read the first, say, third of that, how would you have all taken it? I wouldn't have taken it well. Every lament has to end with trusting in God. Every story in our life has to end with trusting in God. I think that's what's important. And today, we are going to be in Lamentations chapter 3, and we're going to hear about the goodness of God. And that is one reason to trust in him, because God is good. So let me pray, and then we're going to start through Lamentations chapter 3. And if you've opened your Bible to Lamentations, it's right after Jeremiah. Or if you're looking... uh, We have an app on both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. You can go on there. You can click there on notes. Lamentations chapter 3 is 66 verses. So I can stand up here and read 66 verses, or we can focus on what I think is the most important theme that's the central theme of the entire book of Lamentations, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into Lamentations chapter 3, And we think maybe there's things that we lament that are happening in our life. That instead of running from you, we need to run to you. God, as we battle with that, Lord, open our eyes to things that we need to change. Patience we need to have. Maybe it's, maybe it's looking at things and realizing good does come out of difficult circumstances. And God, help us this, this morning as we, we dig into your word, allow us to see the things and the situations that are happening right now in our lives that maybe we need to lament about, but then we need to follow up with trust in you. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. Chapter's a little different than others. I've already kind of said that, that it's a little different. It's 66 verses. It's three times as long as every other chapter. There's only five chapters in Lamentations. It's the middle one. It's the th- uh, three times as long. It's what's called an acrostic poem, which just means a poem that starts with a different letter of the alphabet. So every three verses, it changes the letter that starts. In English, if you're reading it, you can't tell what letter in the Hebrew alphabet it starts with, right? Because it's, it's totally different. But Psalm 119, if you're familiar with that psalm, has the same structure, only it's eight verses. So this is something that they would do, Hebrews would do, um, very often. And you might consider this chapter the ultimate lament. You know, if there was a lament that you wanted to copy in your lament about what is going on in your life, this would be the chapter. It's got consistent themes about who God is. It's about, and and this chapter specifically is about God's goodness, how he provides hope in hopeless situations. There's a consistent theme shift as you go through the chapter from no hope to hope. 
And today, I'm going to look at the chapter as a whole, kind of the front end, the back end of the chapter, and then I'm going to examine the central theme of the entire book, which you've all been waiting for, right? Because last week, you thought, you got by, by the time you got to the end, you're like, I don't need any more lamenting. I want to move towards where we trust in God and what that looks like. So there's a struggle in these first five verses. So I'm going to read the first five verses here, and you're going to see Jeremiah that wrote this, where his heart is at. It says, I am the man who's seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He's driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand day and again and the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. Aren't we glad that's not the end of the chapter? That's not the end of the story. That might be the start of the story. Suffering is personal. Jeremiah can't distance himself from emotionally what's going on. He can't distance himself from what he's seeing and the destruction he's seeing. And many of us have been there before. And many of us are there now. We're on empty. We're not sure God is listening or that we trust him at all. We might even be questioning if he even hears anything we say. And the grief of those moments is deafening because it's silence. It's like we can't hear anything coming from him. But it's also the loudest thing because it's the loudest thing because it's the only thing we can hear. It's deafening silence. That's where that term comes from. And if that's the case, if you're still struggling with that kind of a grief, Lamentations 3.20 is for you. Verse says, My soul continually remembers it, and it is bowed down within me. And what he's talking about, Jeremiah is saying, the affliction, the things he's feeling, the pain, the grief, it's inside of him, and it's still there. It's churning in his heart and his soul, and he doesn't know what to do with it. But as we get near the end of the chapter, Jeremiah has a turn. His turn is to trust because he doesn't, he, he's remembering his grief, but then he's trusting in God and the faithfulness of God because he is good. And that's where in Lamentations 3.55 and 58, it says, I called your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. The depths of the pit. I mean, none of us fall in a pit, right? So that's not something we can identify with, but think about this. That's the lowest you possibly can go. That's what he's saying. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear for my cry for help. You came near when I called on you and said, do not fear. You've taken up my cause, O Lord. You've redeemed my life. There's a huge difference here. Suffering and struggle are not gone, but God is there. So if you walked in this morning expecting me to say, well, if you lament, everything's going to be fine, that's not what God's saying, and that's not what Jeremiah is saying. In Lamentations. What's changed here? What's changed? Laments and most passages in Scripture take turns on two words yet and but. And and, and what happens is there's there's pivots all through the New Testament. Like there's all this stuff happening, and then it says, but God did, but God, but God. And then it says, yet God, even despite what was going on, yet God did this. 
And we find that in verse 21, which is right after that verse I shared with you earlier. Which, is, which I would argue is the, the but yet moment of the entire book. Lamentations 3.21, it says, But I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. A different translation, New Living, puts it this way, Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Remember all the pain and the grief, and I still dare to hope. I'm going to dare to do that. Despite the grief, I dare to hope. Despite broken families, I dare to hope. Despite, but despite the fact that I've lost loved ones, I dare to hope. Despite grief that was caused by sin that destroyed me, I dare to hope. Every single one of you right now, as you're watching or listening or whatever, insert something. Despite whatever it is, I dare to hope. That is what the call is here in Lamentations chapter 3. When I was a kid, we played this game called Truth or Dare. Anyone ever play Truth or Dare? Okay, let's be honest. Okay, we play Truth or Dare. And you had to pick one, either truth or dare, that you would do something. So you'd either, they, someone could dare you to do something, or you could ask a question that you had had to answer truthfully. We have both from God right here. I know I'm, I'm speaking of a childish game that you play when you're a little kid, but we have both. He's daring us to hope because the truth that is in his word. He's going to be completely forthcoming with us and completely honest with us. And more specifically, we have that in the verses directly following verse 21. God's eliminated the childness or childishness of a game like truth and dare and exposed who he is in the following verses. We don't need to dare God. We don't need to ask God a truth because he's already given it to us. It's right there. He's got nothing to hide. He doesn't need to be dared to be good. That's already who he is. Psalm 42.5 says this, and it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. In our darkest moments, we can choose to hope. We can dare to hope. Because it is a dare. A dare is probably usually something you're scared of. Or a dare is something that you get butterflies in your stomach about and you don't really want to do. I mean, how many of you have bungee jumped? Anybody? Anybody bungee jump? Like, seriously? Okay. That's scary to me. I'm not... Mm. You guys could pay me and I still probably wouldn't bungee jump. Anyone jump out of a plane? Some people jump out of planes? Okay. That's a whole other thing, too. I... Is there something you want? Do you have a death wish? That's what I think of. There's no way. But in this moment, that's why daring is something that needs to be understood here. In your darkest moments, you can dare to hope. It requires some effort on your part. Lament can remind you the truth of God's word. It can remind you of that, but it can also allow you to interpret your pain through God's character. The Bible... It's not for us to interpret our experience and then go to the Bible and go, okay, this is what the Bible says, and I think it says this. It's to read the Bible and then look at your experience and realize what is true about God. It's the other way around. You're not reading into what the Bible says. The Bible is reading into your life. That's what it means to have a Christian worldview. And so we get to verse 22. And if you've been here the last two weeks, verse 22 through 33 is the most hopeful, exciting part of this entire book. 
So I'm going to read that to you. Starting in verse 22, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new in every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Yet's there, right there. Yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. There's four truths here that I think it's important for all of us to know. And there's four truths I would tell anyone if I read this passage. Four truths that we need to live by if we're going to choose to dare to hope. The first truth is, God's mercy never stops for his people. Never stops. We all want to think that God, at some point, has just had enough of us. You ever feel that? You know, the people you're closest to, your family, people maybe you grew up with, people you're friends with, don't you ever have that thought like, maybe they've had just gotten annoyed with me? God doesn't ever get annoyed. God doesn't ever struggle with that. Look what it says in verse 22 through 24. I'm going to read that again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Never. Never. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. I will hope in him. We can endure hardships because God's mercy never fails. It's never out of supply. Mercy is something that we don't see in our culture. Over this last year, we don't have mercy for other people. We don't, we don't stop and, and rest in the fact that God's given us mercy ourselves. Every day we have an opportunity to wake up renewed because of his mercy. God supplies grace, undeserved favor, and, dis- and gives us mercy is, and that's all we need because he's good. Verse 24 lets us know that when we had everything taken from us, everything, and I know if you're in this room, you haven't had everything taken from you. That's a fact. Because you haven't had everything taken from you. But when you've had everything taken from you, God is still your portion. You still have God. He still is enough. It's a reminder that God is all you need. But everything in the world tells us otherwise. I don't see commercials that much anymore, but every commercial is telling me why I need something else. Because my life is unfulfilled. My favorite are the uh, prescription medication commercials. And they're telling me why I need something. And they get to the end, and then they start listing really fast in the quickest like talking I ever hear could result in, and then it's like everything you could imagine. Everything and all terrible things like kidney failure and death. And you know, I'm like, why would I ever want that? How's that gonna make my life better? Everything in the world tells us otherwise that we need something more than God. You know what? 
The people that love us most sometimes say that too. It's hard. It's hard to realize that's what we need. It's a great reminder that God is all you need. What kind of lament do you need to pray to live out those verses? To live out those verses. What, what kind of lament does it look like to say that God is what I need? That's the core of my being. All the, all the rest is like the cherry on top of the Sunday, but that's what I actually need. What kind of lament is that? And we get to the second truth, and it even builds on that thought. The second truth is in verses 25 through 27. Waiting for God to answer is not a waste. Waiting for God to answer is not a waste. In fact, that's the best kind of waiting. Because we know God is good, so when he shows up, and when he does what he says he's going to do, it's going to be good. It's not going to be bad. But God also never says, what I, when I do something good, it's not going to be painful. I think that's what we forget. What we miss in this English translation of those verses, 25 through 27, is that each verse starts with good. And this was pointed out to me as I was reading through this. It sounds a little bit like Yoda. So if you read the verses, you'll kind of see this. If, you're, if you understand who Yoda is, it's, it says, Good is God to those who wait on him. Good it is that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Good it is for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. That's what it reads. Good, good, good. There's nothing else there's no good sometimes. There's no, it's good. God is good. Good is God. Even though this starts and ends with God's goodness, we struggle to wait. You know, when I learned economics in college, I learned something, supply and demand. And demand, like when someone's waiting for an item, like the day it comes out and you wait and get it, you usually pay more for an item. And then the longer it's out, the less it costs, and when the demand's really low, the less it costs. And I, I think that's part of why we don't want to wait. Because if everyone else has got whatever it is, or if you see people around you with the same things, you want the same things. But God sometimes is telling us, wait. And that's why we struggle to wait. But verse 27 tells us something about the gift of waiting, and that I think we lose, if we just looked at the whole passage, and if we, if we narrow down on that verse, if it's learned early in life, it's a blessing. The younger we are, when we learn to wait, the better off we are. Waiting makes us uncomfortable and allows us to be out of control of our lives. The older I get, I realize I'm in less control of my life than I've ever been. Verses 28 through 30 shows us we even need to wait when we feel pain. And we need to wait in that pain. Even when we're pushed to the ground and there's hope, even when we're attacked with insults and have been hit hard by others, it's in those seasons that God grows us the most. By tilling the ground of our heart, he's actually there with us, but not doing what we would want in that moment. Tilling the ground of our heart and planting seeds of his goodness. But when we wait, something else happens. Fear builds up. Because in waiting, we're powerless. When we're actually waiting and powerless, we're completely powerless. And it's in God's hands. I, I remember experiences in my life where I've got a phone call, and then someone's like, I'll call you back. And the waiting is like, like 
the clock is not moving fast enough. Everything is moved slow. And usually it's regarding a death in the family or something like that. But, but you have this moment where you just can't wait. You're so focused on what you need to hear or want to hear because we're powerless in that situation. It's in God's hands. That's why we need to know that. Waiting on God is not a waste. And then you have the third truth. It's, it's, as, if, it's as if Jeremiah understands what we're going through in our culture right now. Not just in our country, but in the world. God's final word on suffering has not been spoken. It's not done. He's not done yet. When we think, when we're devastated by something that happens for a period of time, God's up there in heaven going, my children... You got all eternity. This is only a little bit. You know, c- calm down. You're okay. I love you. Verses 28 through 30 continues the theme of suffering, but then verse 31 and 32 change the perspective from despair to hope. It says in verse 31 and 32, for the Lord will not cast off forever but, the, but though he will cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. The final word has not been spoken. We might think it is. But God's love never fails. His goodness rings true. When we're devastated, because we feel betrayed, when we feel alone, when we feel abandoned, when we feel empty, when we feel we've been attacked, when we're chasing everything but God, God's unfailing love is there, waiting for us, patiently. I think sometimes I wish I had this much of God's patience, just a little bit, just enough. But sometimes my patience more looks like this, which I'm sure there's something in there, but I'm not really sure where it is. God's patience for us is is infinite in comparison to anything that we can provide. God's rallying cry in our life is this is not over. This is not it. This is not over. Let us not forget Philippians 1.6. It says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It's not done. No matter what you're feeling right now, it's not done. It's not over yet, no matter how it seems. The fourth truth, and I, I think this is, it seems so simple, but it's so hard to believe this. Because we're so caught up in what's going on around us and in our families that we forget this. God is good. God is good. It is who he is for all eternity past, all eternity future, for the present, it's for now. God is good. Verse 33 makes this clear. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. God does not find joy in our pain. We can see the purposes when we're in, we can't see the purposes when we're in pain. And we might not see that until like we're in heaven, not this side of heaven. We have to believe that hardship and pain that we encounter is for our good. And then I started asking my quest, some, some hypothetical what-if questions. But what if I was abused? But what, what if I've been neglected? What about being abandoned? 
What about betrayal? Sin is a destructive force that brings pain either when others sin against us or, or God or we sin against others or, and God. But God's goodness is the one picking up the broken pieces. God's goodness is the one that's putting us back together. You know, there's, a, there's actually different, it's really expensive, there's different pottery that they actually break and then they kind of like weld it back together or glue it back together. Have you ever seen this? There, there's, and it's very broken. I think this is interesting that Broken and Beautiful is this Friday. So I'm not a woman, so I don't get to go. But I can tell you God's goodness is the perfect example of how God picks up the broken pieces. And he makes something beautiful out of our brokenness. When we go to lament, we're going to God with what we believe. And if you believe these things that I've shared this morning, God's mercy never stops for his people. We're waiting for God is not, to answer is not a waste. God's final word on suffering has not been spoken. And most importantly, that God is good. There's no other category that so overwhelmingly we need to understand and believe. As we approach this last part of this lament, trusting that these things we cling to, we need to trust in these things. Even when we're ready to give up, as this verse, the verse 22 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. No matter where you're at with God right now, no matter where you are, that verse should bring hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It doesn't say only if you come to church every week. It doesn't say if you, if, if we add qualifiers, and I don't see that here. So are you going to dare to hope? Are you going to dare to hope, even though it might be difficult and it might be hard? So what? So what, what are you going to do this week? What are you going to do? What, what's the difference about this? I'm reading through the Old Testament. I know as a child, I didn't open the Old Testament unless I thought I was going to be bored. I mean, I'm just being honest. I had a scripture journal, and I had my scripture journal from when I was a kid where I'd read about this chapter, and then I would write something. And I just was like, I got stuck in Leviticus one time, which that was just boring to my seven-year-old mind. What is so important about Lamentations? Why, why is this a part of Scripture that is so important for our lives right now? And it's because God's mercy never stops for his people. It just doesn't stop. There's no point where it stops. And honestly, I need to hear every day that waiting for God to answer is not a waste. Every day. Every time I pray for another human being or I pray for myself, I have to think, waiting for God to answer is not a waste. Because you know what happens when I don't wait? Maybe you do this too. I try to answer my own prayers. You know what I'm saying? Like, like God, I need this. Well, I'm going to go get it. In our society, we've gotten to the point where we're so rich, whether it be financial, social interaction, whatever it is, that we think we can move around God and we don't even pray about it. But when we start praying about it, 
and God makes us wait, the riches of his goodness are able for us to see. It's not a waste. God's final word on suffering has not been spoken. I think of a lot of different interactions in my life. I shared uh, a few weeks ago about my grandma, and she ended up passing last week. And I think she's suffered her whole, like, later on in life because she was, had multiple health issues. Or my dad that passed away of a heart attack, he had health issues. Suffering, God's, God's last word on suffering has not been spoken because I believe that my dad's with Jesus right now. And that's a huge difference. The final word is spoken now because on the day of Jesus Christ, he's, he's with him now. That work has been completed. And I know that because God is good. I know that no matter what's going on in our lives, God is good. I also know if you go with that perspective into painful experiences, you're going to come out the other end realizing that the experience you went through definitely was worth the pain that you felt. And that God brought good out of it, no matter how hard it is. God is good. So as we leave today, I want to challenge you to dare to hope. Because no matter what you're going through, if your week's been great, that's great. Dare to hope. There's always someone else that needs a prayer. There's always someone else that needs hope. So share with them. Dare to hope when it doesn't feel like you're going to make it through. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we, as we look at the book of Lamentations, I, I, I know, God, that your mercy does not end. That, that we, have, we have a choice to make to cry out to you, to ask you to be a part of our life, but not just a part of our life, but to lead our life. And so, Lord, there are those of us in this room that have been waiting for an answer for years. God, do something in our lives that helps us to know that's not a waste. When we lose faith, like the lament I read at the beginning, when we, when we have those moments that, we, that we, we struggle to trust because we don't know, God, allow us to see the big picture that you are good. that you love us and that the final word has not been spoken on whatever we're suffering through. God, as we leave here this morning, help us, help us to see and, and hear and have it brought to our mind this week that you are good no matter what we're going through. We say all this in Jesus' name.